0: This morning, the story we're going to look at is in Mark chapter five, beginning in verse 21. If you've got your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open that up. Mark chapter five, beginning in verse 21, and we're going to look at a story here now. As we walk through these stories, there's a couple of things we want to know. One, um, every author tells their story from a certain perspective. They're highlighting something specific. So just like if my wife and I go through an experience, I'll tell the story a little different than the way she'll tell the story because we see it a little bit differently. Both of us will be accurate, but what we're focused on will be a little different. So in the book of Mark, one of the focuses you're going to see is on the power and authority of Christ. And so even as we read this story, look for that theme to come out and to play a role in what we're talking about. So let's begin in this story and let's take a look. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. And it's been all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. So let's stop there for a minute. Think about this. Begin to get this picture in your mind of Jesus coming across the lake, There's a crowd that gathers around him. And then Jairus, one of the synagogue rulers, begins to come to Jesus. And what does he do? He falls on his face, on his knees before Jesus. And can you imagine a desperate father has a little daughter who's sick and dying. And there's one person he believes may be able to help. Can you imagine being in his shoes going, if there was anybody that could help your dying daughter, what are you going to do? You're going to get to them. As fast as you can. And then you've got this crowd that moves off with Jesus as Jesus begins to go toward Jairus' house. And then you have this woman who shows up on the scene. And look at what the suffering she went through. A woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And she suffered greatly at the hands of her doctors. So you have this person who's physically hurting and broken. And she's looking for healing. You can tell she's tried everything she can try because it says she suffered greatly under many doctors. Some of us can relate to that. And she suffered greatly under those doctors. And then now, not only is she sick and still has this bleeding condition, but she's now poor because she's wasted or spent everything she has trying to get better. She's spent every amount of effort she has. She wouldn't have only been physically sick but that bleeding condition would have made her unclean and so there would have been an element of within the culture she would not have been accepted and so this here's a desperate woman trying to get to Jesus look at what she says in verse 27 when she heard about Jesus she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought if I just touch his clothes I will be healed You see the desperation of both of these two people in the midst of their chaos, right? You've got this large crowd that's gathered around. The story continuously talks about this crowd. You've got this crowd. You've got two people in their desperation who say, I need to get to Jesus. Just imagine the chaotic scene. All these people pressing in around Jesus and this woman who's physically sick having to work her way through the crowd and just, if I can just touch him, his power and authority is enough to heal me. She was desperate. Jairus was desperate in the midst of their brokenness to be able to reach Jesus and what happened to her, right? Verse 29 tells us immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciple answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth. See, so you've got Jesus knowing the moment that power leaves him. She believes if I just touch him, he'll do something. He his power and authority is enough to heal me. And so she got to him. She touches his cloak and immediately she's healed. And then Jesus stops the crowd and says, "Who touched me?" And can you imagine the disciples at that moment going, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's pushing in on you. Everybody's touching you. And he said, no, no, no. I'm looking for the one who received that power. And then you have this woman who in her own fear comes to him and just gets on her knees before Christ and shares her story. She didn't know how he's going to respond. She just knows all she knew at that moment was I was desperate for him and I knew he could do something. In the midst of my chaos, he could do something. And she got before him and just told him the whole truth. It's interesting, we see both Jairus and this woman get on their knees before Christ. Right? Have you ever been in that place of complete desperation where you go, I know nowhere else to go except I believe that Jesus is enough and so I just need to get before him and get on my knees and know I have no power and authority to fix the circumstance I'm in but you have all the power and authority. In that moment, both of these two individuals by even in the position they put themselves were recognizing the power and authority of Christ and their humility and need for him. So as we face our chaos, as we face the things in our life that that cause us to wrestle and want to know how do I fix it? How do I make it better? How do I bring peace in the midst of this difficult circumstance? The approach to Christ that both of these took was highlighted in their humility and their recognition of their need for Christ to do something. But there's an interesting note here. One of the things about these stories when we read them It'll tell us what we need to know and it won't tell us what we don't need to know. And so as we look at these stories, what it, who are the other players here that it's talked about several times? Right? It's brought this crowd up multiple times. At the very beginning, look in verse 21, a crowd gathered. In verse 24, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. The woman worked her way through the crowd. And then you have the disciples saying, well, there's a whole crowd around you. Everybody's touching you. Like you have this consistent bringing back of the crowd. And why does the crowd matter? Why does the crowd even matter? Because when you look at this story, it's being played out in such a way that it is separating Jairus and the bleeding woman from the rest of the crowd. And what's the difference between those two? You've got Jairus and this woman getting on their knees before the Lord, recognizing their desperate need for him. You have plenty of other people who've touched Jesus, but we don't see a pointing to, to healing or other things happening. It doesn't mean other miracles didn't happen. It just simply means that the story is pointing out a difference between the crowd and these two. It's interesting to note when you look at it. How we are fully capable of being near Jesus, pressing in around Jesus, and still missing the power and authority of Jesus in our lives. When we come to Advent season, isn't this one of the greatest moments where we will talk about Jesus? We'll share the story of the baby in the manger. We'll spend a lot of time on this picture of celebrating Jesus Christ. And yet how many of us will be around him and bump up against him and still miss being desperate for him this Christmas season? So a picture of that in our own lives. Um, When our daughter, our oldest daughter, was turning one-year-old, we were getting ready for her birthday party. And in our kitchen at that house, uh, we had a step right in the middle of the kitchen. Kind of a strange place for a step, but we had one. And it was tile, a little bit sharp on the top edge, and a bit of a drop And we were both, my wife and I, were getting ready for the party. She was cleaning some part of the house. I was working on some things in the kitchen. And uh, our one-year-old was in the kitchen with me. And I'm busy working on things. Michelle's busy working on things. And I look up just in time to see our one-year-old about to go head first over this hard step as she's crawling. I drop what I'm doing and I catch her right before she hits face first on the tile. And it dawned on me in that moment we were doing a whole lot of things for her, and yet I almost missed her. I could have missed the whole point. if The whole point of the party was to celebrate her, and we might have had to cancel the party and end up in the hospital getting stitches because I lost track of her. How easy will it be around the Christmas season to say, I want to be about Jesus, and we bump up against him, but it's more out of curiosity and not out of desperation. See, there's the reality in in all of our lives that every person in that crowd was just as desperately in need of Jesus as Jairus and the bleeding woman were. Their circumstances just hadn't driven them to that point of recognizing it yet. Because if, if this were a setting today, wouldn't there be some of us that we'd be curious about Jesus? I want to know about him, but I've got a lot of things to do. So I've got to drop the kids off at school, then I've got to go to work. I've got a lunch meeting. Maybe after the lunch meeting, I can drop by where that Jesus character is walking around and see him for a few minutes. But then I've got to take the dog to the vet. So I've got a lot of other things on my plate. So maybe if I just find a little bit of time to be around him, that, that will pique my curiosity. And life just is busy. But you've got this desperation from both of these characters that is in stark contrast to the way the rest of the crowd interacts with Christ. So let's see what happens as Jesus responds. So Jesus talked about who touched me. The woman falls on at his feet and trembles with fear. She tells him the whole truth. And this is what he says in verse 34. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And be freed from your suffering. Interesting. He said, hey, your your faith has healed you. Your belief, your trust in me has healed you. Your trust in my power and my authority has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Look what Jesus just did. He just completely changed her story, didn't he? You have a a bleeding, broken woman who is looking for some place of relief and peace and through the power and authority of Jesus, her story completely changes. You notice how this statement that Jesus makes here could be said to any person who believes and trusts in him spiritually. Right? This idea that if we would believe and trust in Christ, That he came, he lived, that his story is the one story with the power and authority. That he died in our place for us to pay the penalty that we can never pay. And he rose again to bring about life in a path of peace. That if we would believe and trust in him, we can hear a very similar statement. Daughter, son, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. See, for those who don't know Christ, that's the peace that you're looking for today. You may be like the woman and try everything you possibly can to provide a way of peace in your life and recognize that all that's left is still chaos. But what Jesus says, if you come to me, I provide that path of peace and can change your story to a better story. One that's full of peace even in the midst of circumstantial chaos. But see, even as her story changes, look at what happens. That's not the end of the story. You would think this is kind of the big climax of the story, right? We've got someone who's sick, who needs healing, and now all of a sudden she's healed. But look, the story goes on. Verse 33, while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? So just while this woman's story gets better, Jairus' story gets worse. Right Where he was broken and hurting and missing and thinking maybe there was a path of peace. Maybe there's a path here where he might, this Jesus might come and touch my daughter and she'll be healed. All of that potential path of peace was dashed in that moment. Hey, Jairus, your daughter's gone. You don't need to bother this Jesus anymore. Right? Everything shattered for him in that moment, and his chaos was elevated. But look what Jesus does. Jesus says, ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. I take a lot of belief. Right, this, this picture of, can you imagine your daughter, you've just received the message, she's died. The one person you thought might be able to help didn't get there in time. He was busy helping other people and didn't make it to you in time, to your family, your need. And yet he turns and looks at you and says, don't be afraid, just believe. See, if I say that to someone, it would sound a little bit trite. Don't be afraid, just believe. Why would it sound trite? Because I don't have power and authority. But guess what? When Jesus, who is the one with all power and all authority, says, don't be afraid, just believe, there is power to back up that statement. There is authority to back up that statement. So as we learn more of who Jesus is and we lean into our desperate need for him, that power and authority can be spoken into a phrase of don't be afraid, just believe. Some of us right here this morning are in some of the darkest of circumstances you've faced in your entire life. If you recognize Jesus is who he says he is and he has the power and authority that he says he has, It's not going to change the grief or the pain or the hurt. But you can hear him tell you, don't be afraid, just believe. And you can have confidence that he can walk with you through any circumstance, giving a peace that cannot be taken from your life. Jairus must have believed and trusted him at some level because Jesus then says he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. So once again, Jesus walked into a chaotic scene. Says there's a commotion, there's wailing, there's, there's people grieving over the loss of this little girl. And what does Jesus do? He sends everybody out. He walks right into the middle of the chaos. And look who he takes with him into that room. He takes the father, the mother, three of his disciples. And after walking through such a chaotic crowd, after walking into a chaotic house, there would have been something. That would have just settled strangely walking into a completely silent room. A room that would have been way too silent. Where little their daughter lie lay completely still. A mother and a father. Looking at their daughter wondering, is this guy going to be enough to do something in our chaos? The calm would have been too much for any parent to bear while the internal chaos just built. But in that moment, look what Jesus does. Verse 41, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha cum." Which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Can you imagine this? See, they had heard of Jesus doing miracles. But all of a sudden, he's, his authority, his power has changed even what his disciples expected he could do. And he takes this little girl and calls her up. And she gets up and begins to walk around and a parent's story of chaos and brokenness has now shifted into the power of the story of Christ where peace is now available to them. See, their story changed from desperation with no way to a path of peace to focusing intently on the only one who could bring about peace. And their stories became a story of great hope and joy and love and peace. So throughout Advent season, one of the things for us that we want to be able to to focus on is this reality that how can we intentionally chase and focus on Jesus the same way these two said, I am desperate for you. See, many of us in here have trusted Christ and for peace for our eternity, but then we get really busy in the season and we, get, we forget that our circumstances may not necessarily be pointing out to us how desperate we are for Jesus. And so we want to set some things in our lives that help us recognize that desperation every day. So one of the things within that Advent guide that you're going to get It's going to talk about some things that will help you be intentional. There's a couple of opportunities we have every day that don't have to take a lot of time but can really help us focus on saying, Lord, I need to be desperate for you and I know I'm desperate for you. Help me when I don't see or feel my desperation. That Advent guide will talk about a couple things. One of them that we'll talk about is time. Setting aside specific time to help align our heart to our desperate need for Christ every day. So that in the family discipleship section, even if you don't have kids at home or if you live by yourself, don't overlook that section. It has pieces that are there for you. Um, in the mornings, it talks about that's a set time. We can do something, and you can do something quick and easy. Every uh, week, there's a verse that aligns with the theme of that week that you can memorize. and I want you to memorize that verse over the course of the week and there's one question to ask yourself every morning or to ask your family every morning during that week. You know how long that takes? About five minutes. So as you're gathering your breakfast or you're on your way to work or you're on your way to school, it's easy to set that time and say, how do we use this intentionally to remind us of our need for Christ? There's another set time in the evenings before you go to bed A couple of questions to ask yourself, ask your family before you get in bed that will help draw your mind and heart back to your desperate need for Christ. There's a set family time that once a week your family gathers together and does an activity and then learns together how to be desperate for Christ. There's specific times that we can set aside to help remind us of our need for Jesus. That we are all desperate for him. And the other area is moments. There's random key moments that we can just ask the Lord, hey, Lord, and help my, me see with eyes that you see the moments that happen around me that remind me of the truth that I'm desperate for you. An example of that, this week, peace in the chaos. You may need to walk into a store and most of the stores this time of year are chaotic. If you've ever been The person trying to get the last toy off the shelf before somebody else gets it you know that chaotic scene so when you walk into that store this week and you see the busy chaos of people you can pause for just a moment while you get your shopping cart and say lord Thank you that in the midst of the recognition of the chaos that I see in front of me is a reminder of the chaos that was in my soul before I trusted and believed in Christ. Thank you that you've provided a way of peace. Now, Lord, while I'm in this store, who here needs to know the story of the way you've brought peace to their chaos? Who would you have me be here for today? And taking advantage of the moments. And with your kids or grandkids, helping them see those moments too. Hey, you see all the craziness going on in the store? Remember that this is simply a picture of the chaos that would go on in our lives apart from Christ. It would be a reminder to you and me that we need Jesus desperately every moment of every day. Take advantage of time, set times, and moments as they come. Because here's the reality of this story and the reality of all the stories we're going to see over the course of this Advent series is that there is one main character and one hero in all of them. See, this story has a man and a woman who were desperate for Jesus and they just simply ran to him and sought him like Hebrews 12.2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. These two fixed their eyes on Jesus, and their stories changed. But the hero of the story was Jesus. He's the only one that could change their story. The stories that you're hearing from from family members that are part of the FBG family, Jesus is the only one that can change their story. Your story, my story, Jesus is the only one that can change it and make it a better story. Because here's the reality, the story is all about him anyway. We're under an illusion at times when we really think it's our story. It's his story that we've been invited into. And what happens is, before we trust in Christ, the chaos is that we are enemies of God. What scripture tells us is that while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. So that we can move from enemies in the story to sons and daughters of God and co-heirs with Christ. What happens when we recognize our need for Christ is we move from an enemy of God in the story to a son or daughter of God in the story. And Jesus is the hero the whole time. Every story points to him. And so as we talk about stories this season, be reminded that your story Points to the greatest story there's ever been. My story points to the greatest story that's ever been. These stories point to the greatest story that's ever been and the power and authority of Jesus Christ to make a difference in any story. But I can't do it on my own. You can't do it on your own. We cannot fix the chaos we face. But we have a Savior who says, I will show you the path of peace because of my power and authority so that you can walk through any chaos and live as a child of peace. Praise God we're not left in our chaos. Praise God that he was the initiator, that as we look to the manger and celebrate the manger, what we get to celebrate is God initiating the path of peace. It could not have been initiated by us. The woman couldn't fix it. Jairus couldn't fix his daughter. You and I can't fix our chaos. But God said, I love you so much. I will send my son. I will initiate the path of peace so that when we look at the manger this Advent season, we will be reminded that God initiated the way forward. It was not us. It was Him. And we can celebrate with great joy God says, I can take you from any chaos and move you to a place of perfect peace because of the power and authority of my son. That's what we celebrate this Advent season.